This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. George Washington is well known for leading the Continental Army to victory and governing the nascent nation as it was getting off the ground. But few know the story of his involvement in a debate that nearly tore us apart, the establishment of a capital city. In George Washington's final battle, historian Robert Watson argues that we owe the existence of our nation's capital in large part to the tireless work and political acumen of George Washington. Washington believed firmly in the importance of having a federal city as capital, rather than a city within a state such as Philadelphia or New York. But this idea was the subject of bitter dispute. It was our first president who negotiated for the location on the Potomac, who oversaw the surveying, raised the funds, chose the architect, and approved the final design. Watson brings this story to life, showing that the capital city that would eventually bear Washington's name, would certainly not have existed as it does today without his influence. George Washington's final battle will fascinate not only historians, but also a broad readership interested in the founding period, the American presidency, and the history of Washington, D.C. Robert Watson is Distinguished Professor of American History at Lynn University and the author or editor of more than 40 books, including The Ghost Ship of Brooklyn, An Untold Story of the American Revolution, The Nazi Titanic, The Incredible Untold Story of a Doomed Ship, in World War II, and America's First Crisis, the War of 1812. He's a frequent media commentator and activist who has founded three nonprofit think tanks dedicated to civic education, political reform, and fact-checking political campaigns. I am happy to have Robert Watson for the first time here on Speaking of Writers. Robert, welcome. Stephen, thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, anything that uh, promotes books, reading, and authors, such as you do, uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Thank Th you for having me. Thank you. Without a capital city, Robert, and the basic machinery of governance, the, the new political experiment was a nation just in name only. To the American people, establishing a permanent capital city was a controversial and politically charged process. Why was this such a contentious issue at the time? Yeah, uh, for many reasons. So, first off, you know, the Revolutionary War started in spring of 1775. It uh, doesn't finish until fall of 1783. We don't have a permanent capital throughout or permanent seat of government throughout the revolution. We win our independence, and we still don't have a permanent capital. The founders meet and the framers meet in Philadelphia for the Constitutional Convention. We still don't. It would take 25 years from 1775 until 1800 before we had a permanent seat of government. That's no way to start a nation. Uh, it was a contentious argument for many reasons. Uh, one was the view of the role of government. The less government, sort of the southern, uh, slave-owning, anti-federalists like Thomas Jefferson, uh, Madison, um, and others, they felt that a strong capital would mean that there would be a strong federal government, which could threaten slavery and threaten states' rights. Uh, so they dug in in, in opposition. Uh, the, another reason uh, for all the contentious arguments where there were over 30 cities at one point or another, from Brooklyn uh, to Annapolis to Baltimore to uh, you know Albany, over 30 sites under consideration to be the capital. And everyone wanted their own city to be the capital for two reasons. One, a sense of pride in your city. But secondly, economic self-interest. Imagine being a landowner or business owner in a city if the capital moves to your city, that means the entire federal government, the Congress, the military, the construction boom, uh, the property values will increase tenfold. Therefore, 
everyone dug in and refused to allow any city other than theirs to be picked as the capital. So this is the fray within which Washington entered. And uh, it was uh, bitter. Washington even said that of all the debates of the Constitutional Convention, he said this, the decision over picking a capital city was, quote-unquote, the most intense and explosive. He thought it was so sensitive that it had the potential to undermine the entire Constitution, if not the nation. Therefore, in 1787 at the Constitutional Convention, the framers realized if they tried to pick a site for the capital, people wouldn't sign the Constitution. So they kicked the can down the road, signed the Constitution, with no permanent site for the capital city. Those are a few of the reasons why it was so contentious. I want to go back to the Battle of New York, and specifically Newburgh and the Newburgh Conspiracy. What was going on there, Robert? Yeah, so the last major battle of the Revolution was Yorktown, which is September, October 1781. The war would last for another two years, but there would never be another large conflict. Uh, the, the new conflict was kind of a cold war, and a new enemy arose, boredom. So Washington, uh, the British were encamped in New York City. Washington moved his army just north of them up the Hudson at Newburgh, near where FDR's library or West Point is today. And there they sit for basically two years, freezing cold winters, uh, the Continental Congress was so inept that the men were not being paid. Many still lacked shoes. Uh, they missed their homes. Their businesses were going belly up. Uh, so there was, a, there was an attempt to, uh, attempted cabal, an attempt to overthrow Washington, which alarmed Washington. And he realized, after all that they had been through, on the you know eve of independence and of victory, that we're willing to risk everything. This alarmed him and alarmed others realizing that we needed a strong government, a capital, and we needed it soon. Also, there was another event that shocked Washington, and uh, that was uh, eerily similar to what happened with the uh, January 6th insurrection at our capital. This was in June 20th, 1783. A bunch of uh, disgruntled uh, pseudo-patriots uh, attacked what was then basically the capital, today Independence Hall in Philadelphia, with political leaders inside. They busted windows, busted the door, used flagpoles, just like January 6th. And that really alarmed uh, uh, our leaders, and most importantly, Washington, who realized we need a capital city, we need a strong government, we need a fix now. We need something to put this country on strong economic footing, and we need to give the this nascent republic, this new fledgling experiment in self-government, some credibility. Um, and it cannot be, as you correctly noted at the outset, within a city or within a state. It needs to be in a separate federal district. And they wanted that district named for Christopher Columbus. So today we have the feminine district of Columbia. Um, so all that greatly unnerved Washington and was part of the inspiration behind his efforts to rebuild Rome and build what he called a grand city for the ages, which he saw as offering a construction boom for the country and building such a great and grand city that it would imbue the people with what they were missing, a sense of national identity. You know, uh, Stephen, if you and I took a, um, you know, a, a time machine and we went back to this time period and met Thomas Jefferson, and if we asked Mr. Jefferson about his country or his nation, his answer would have been Virginia. Virginia. 
Yep. So, yeah, so this capital would located halfway between the north and south, a city that would recreate the likeness of Rome or ancient Athens. Uh, it would give credibility to the country in the eyes of Europe. It would imbue the people with a great sense of national pride and identity, and it would be a windfall of money coming in on such a massive construction project. And Washington seems to have been almost alone uh, in that vision. And had anybody else uh, taken that bucket of water and tried to sell it, uh, it wouldn't have worked. But Washington was able to uh, realize his incredible vision. My guest is Robert Watson. His book is George Washington's Final Battle, The Epic Struggle to Build a Capital City and a Nation. You've touched on the vision a bit there, Robert. So Washington wrote this, what was called a circular letter, right, to the states, basically his farewell letter. What else was in that letter? Yeah, so you're right. It was called the circular letter. Uh, And what they did is, uh, you know, we didn't have the kind of media that we have today. So it was not uncommon to write a letter that would be reprinted as a broadside that is kind of a pamphlet, you know, read at pubs, tacked on a pub door, and it would be given to newspapers. The newspapers would reprint it, and then it went all around the country as couriers on horseback would put it in a leather satchel and ride it around the country. And that letter announced his, uh, you know, that he was resigning, but it offered some advice on the direction of this new republic, uh, the need for a strong government, the need for a capital. But most importantly, Washington assured everybody that we were, we had done what no one thought we could do, and therefore we were capable of self-government. And Washington was, it's hard to think of someone today that has the kind of gravitas or credibility that Washington had. He was, you know, larger than this new nascent republic itself. So when George Washington said it's okay, and we're going to be fine. That was a fatherly bit of inspiration for the country. So that letter was read far and wide, and it really imbued people with the confidence that we're going to make it, that this nation is going to make it. We need to remember that that period after the war and up through the Constitutional Convention, historians sometimes call that the critical period, in that we probably shouldn't have made it. Uh, A few of the founders believed that we weren't going to make it. We were massively in debt. We had no means for raising revenue. Uh, We were operating under the Articles of Confederation, which didn't even have a presidency or a court, unicameral, one branch of Congress, and it was utterly ineffectual. Uh, Towns up and down the eastern seaboard, after having been blockaded by the powerful British Navy for years, had saw their economies collapse. Uh, businesses had collapsed. We had no, uh, our currency was worthless. Uh, the states were bickering. So uh, it was important for Washington to not only have the vision, but to send a circular letter and, and sort, of, um, uh, sort of a cheerleading pep talk, if you will, to the country. So then the design begins. How did Washington end up and select L'Enfant to design the Capitol? And then Hoban uh, designs the presidential palace. Yeah, what's interesting is Washington was not well-traveled. He made one trip out of the uh, United States. He went to Barbados as a teenager for a few weeks with his older half-brother Lawrence. So it's not that he had been to Rome. It's not that he had been to Athens or London or Paris or any of the great capitals of his contemporary time or from antiquity, nor was he exceptionally well-educated or well-read even. Um, But Washington had heard about Rome, heard about ancient Athens, and wanted to channel the majesty of Rome. He wanted a grand city with broad boulevards 
And where those broad boulevards intersect, there would be large public squares and meeting places filled with monuments and memorials, much like the city that we have today. So the problem for him was uh, when the British left after we won the war, they left taking most of the surgeons, architects, bankers, professors, judges, you know, leaving us, uh, you know, somewhat empty-handed, um, sort of a brain drain, one might say. So Washington was hard-pressed to find an architect, not only an architect, but one of the greatest to design what he thought would be the greatest city of all times. Uh, enter Pierre-Charles L'Enfant, uh, as the name would suggest, French. And today in Washington, his name is, is everywhere. L'Enfant was the perfect choice for Washington. One, we didn't have hardly any American architects. But two, L'Enfant was classically trained in architecture and engineering in Paris. He fought in the Revolutionary War bravely, so they, Washington trusted him. He was a fellow Mason. Um, and he was also something of a megalomaniac. Uh, but the reason why that was perfect was L'Enfant also wanted to design the greatest city of the time. Uh, and that suited Washington and suited L'Enfant. So we hired him, who produced this brilliant design for the capital that we have today, including with the memorials, the broad boulevards, the intersecting streets, a national mall even. Um, now, L'Enfant proved to be extremely difficult. And after about a year, he claimed he quit, but he was basically fired the day he quit. So, you know, chicken or the egg, one of the two. Uh, but the plan was already there, and Washington used the plan. Now he needed a, a great building for the, the president, a presidential house, a presidential palace, a presidential mansion. And he heard that there was some beautiful architecture in Charleston, South Carolina, a lovely city even today. And he went down and fell in love with the architecture and found out that another immigrant, an Irishman, James Hoban, had been the designer. So Washington invites Hoban to set out the design for his presidential home. And he loved Hoban's idea of columns and oval rooms, which were the rage in Europe, and something palatial, uh, befitting of the majestic office that Washington envisioned. So um, uh, against all odds, uh, L'Enfant and Hoban are the men chosen, both immigrants, which is, I think, a quintessentially American story on so many levels. And the proof is in the pudding. They were the right people to hire and to design for both the city and the White House. Uh, it, it's hard to meet anybody that doesn't admire the beautiful design of that city and that White House. And that's, uh, that's where it comes from. In our remaining moments with Robert Watson, the book is George Washington's final battle, the epic struggle to build a capital city and a nation. So how did this struggle over the capital city, Robert, reveal Washington's skills as a gifted political dealmaker. Absolutely, and that was one of the main reasons why I wrote the book. I always felt that Washington is the least knowable of all the founders. He's the most obvious, but yet we really don't know him. He's more myth than man. Then it over the last two centuries, almost unidimensionally, very simply, as this stoic guy, you know, who's courageous on the battlefield. But Washington was a complicated, multifaceted person. He was also a heck of a politician. Uh, and it should have been someone of the, of the par of a Ben Franklin or a Jefferson or a Madison. Brilliant, well-read, well-traveled individuals that had vision. Instead, it was Washington, who was poorly read, poorly educated, and poorly traveled. So he was, Washington was a visionary. He was always very creative, very innovative, and had great political skills. Uh, I think this is no better seen than uh, the, the measure, the legislation that, Pick the site of the Capitol is called the 1790 Residence Act. And when they first pushed this, it was four votes shy in the Senate. 
Washington says, let's call for another vote immediately. They thought he was mad. He's four votes shy in the Senate. How, after lunch, are you going to possibly have somebody change their mind? And you're going to lose again, and that's going to make you look desperate. It's going to make the effort to find any compromise even harder. Washington said, call for another vote. He's four votes shy. He goes and visits not five, but just four senators, flips all four. Uh, he knew exactly who to visit, exactly what to say. He flipped all four votes, and, and his bill carried. So the book fleshes out Washington's vision, his creativity, and his political traits uh, as a political player. Uh, I think facets of his personality that, sadly, for too long have been largely overlooked by, um, by history. Robert Watson, the book is George Washington's final battle. The epic struggle to build a capital city and a nation. Robert, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Stephen, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And this is Speaking of Writers.